This time on News of the Week with Jason Cousineau, Google AI, not talking about, not talking about the college admission scandal, sonic weapons used on U.S. diplomats in other countries, G5, conspiracy theory bloopers, 4,000 extrasolar planets and counting, feeling your planet's magnetic field, and laughs. From the Federal Chronicles Network, this is the Metaphysical Connection for January 23, 2019. And I'm Eric Render King Fisk. Stay tuned. <laughs> With all the whips you have in that house, you don't you're not telling me that there wasn't one night where you just kinda of looked and went, hmm. No no velvet hair in cuffs. <laughs> The temptation was there, though. I mean, <laughs> you can't tell me you didn't look at the whip at least once and go, hmm. For You're folks, probably overruled, but the, the, the thought was there. Yeah, you for, know the thought was there. For folks who don't know, and who doesn't know, you're probably listening to this podcast because you follow me on these all these uh, other cosplay groups, including the Indiana Jones Cosplay Group on Facebook. And a lot of people seem to assume that I have a vast collection of bullwhips from Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Nothing could be further from the truth that you know of so and Jay well, I know you've got at least one and Jay likes to make jokes about it <laughs> likes to make jokes at my expense so I'm gonna cut this nonsense off here by the way people were telling me about how last week's podcast was our best our best podcast for reasons that, and they've had the most fun listening to it um I know you had a lot of fun listening oh, yeah. to it the last time we can't get into that because we're trying no, to keep no. this a pg-13 show here yeah oh except for my fucking language which you know, whatever. <laughs> i'm thinking every time you say the f word you need to donate a dollar to our favorite charity so i'm not sure i can afford that <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck i need shit <laughs> Holy crap! So, and, and I here's here's a part of the podcast. I don't know if it's going to make it into the final cut, Jay. Okay. Um, two o'clock in the morning, the dogs have to get up, go to the bathroom, and this happens at two o'clock and five o'clock every night or every morning, right? Because we uh -huh. have we have three dogs, and we have not learned don't feed them so early. Don't don't feed them so late at night. Just don't feed them that late. Don't yeah. feed them late at night. And, uh, you know, feed them early. And uh, we, we, I think we finally learned this week. And I look at the cell phone and I got a message from somebody. This is the, th and I'll tell you why this is frustrating. I got a text message or an email message in the middle of the night telling me that somebody, the man who threatened to kill me, Way back in 1991 or 1992, I just died. Here it is. I'm standing wearing my pajamas and a fedora in the middle of the night reading a text that the man who threatened to kill me almost 30 years ago is, is finally dead. So wait a second. Wait a second. I yep. just need to clarify something. Yep. You sleep with your fedora on? No, I just put it on when I wake up and let the dogs out. So you like go for a walk? You like, or you like get up, 
you get up and and immediately put on your fedora. Don't don't make it sound weird. I'm not the one making it sound weird, Dave. You're the one. <laughs> okay. There, so there, there are things you we're listen. Skip the you, hat thing for now. <laughs> you just get you get up. You get up. You put on like you put. It's like you put on your coat. You put on your coat or you put on your fedora, you put on your hat, and you go outside with the dogs while they're doing their business, and you let oh, them okay, back in. Oh, okay, you're going outside. I, I yeah. thought you, like, get up in the morning, put on your, your fedora, and, like, walk around the house. I mean, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Continuing I mean, on. When you put it that way, you make it sound weird. And I was just like, the, right. the thing is, is that it's like, when did, when did my life become a film noir? And... And it was like yesterday I had posted this and this got a lot of likes on, on Twitter. I said, And it was International Happiness Day, which coincided with um, uh, first day of spring, the, the vernal equinox. And it was just like, if if it's the international day for happiness, how come I feel like I'm, I'm in a reality TV show for the Film Noir Network? You know, and it was just like, and, he, and the thing is, here's the frustrating thing. I can't even tell you the rest of the story until a little while later about why this is so important and how the Fedora Chronicles has somehow gotten involved. It's an interesting story. It's a fascinating story. I don't know if I can tell it right now, but it's when, when I'm actually given the okay to say, okay, you can talk about it now. Um, it's going to blow people's minds and it might actually change the way you look at humanity. It totally changed the way it, it's the way I, it's why I don't see people the same way I do knowing what I know about a segment of the population here in the United States and an, an epidemic that people will not talk about. There's an, there's, there's a social behavioral epidemic I'm not even allowed to talk about it right now because it's that controversial. But when I do, I really think that it's going to change the way people see other people. And it and it's sad and it's unfortunate and it's, and it's disturbing. But it was... Man, uh, well, people are assholes. I mean, People really are. People, there, there are... I mean, everybody has a tendency to be an asshole sometimes. Oh, yeah. Without a yeah. doubt. And if it wasn't for the fact for that, me, those are days that end in Y. Yeah. Um, but there's so many things. Whereas it's like, and, and at the um, uh, vintage menswear group that I also belong to on Facebook, somebody had found these videos, and I'm not going to give the guy the video who does these videos any press at all. I'm not going to tell you. But the thing is, is that he has this obsession with social fluency. And you have to conform and know social fluency and act accordingly. And you watch this guy's video, and it says this whole thing is, is that the key to success is to dress just like everybody else, but just a little better. And you will not have yeah. success in your life unless you are able to show social fluency. And people say, well, I can, why can't I wear whatever I want? You can wear whatever you want, but you will just not be able to enjoy success in well, your life like like I do. Well, the, the truth the truth is that 
everyone says, I want to be able to do what I want. Right. And you can. Yes. You can do whatever you want. You, however, are also going to be judged on what it is you are doing. Oh, yeah. If you want to run around with a shirt on and crotchless panties in public, again, go right ahead. People are going to judge you, though, and police are going to probably want to talk to you. Probably. The truth of the matter is that no one is saying you cannot do that. The only thing we're saying is there's consequences for when you do that. Right. And when I got out of the Coast Guard, one of the guys that was, there's a program that they send you through, at least in the Coast Guard, I think it happens in all military, where they basically try and teach you how to create a resume, how to translate what you did in the military to civilian world and all that kind of stuff. Yep. One of the guys I was in the program with me had, because he was finally getting out, had gone and gotten some piercings. He had a, a piercing in his eyebrow, he had pierced his lip, and I think he had pierced his nose. Yeah, we were talking about and this in the previous show. Yeah. Yeah, we did. You know, and he was complaining that, you know, he goes to interviews, and he, no one's offering him a job. And I'm like, well, you get your face pierced. He's like, yeah, but I'm not an idiot. I take it out. And I'm like, oh, you cover up the holes? It's because... People are going to make judgment calls on you. No one's telling you you can't. And whether they should or shouldn't make judgment calls, they do. Right. And anyone who says no one should be judging me is being hypocritical because they also judge other people. Yeah. If they see someone walking around in a suit, they're making a judgment on them that probably isn't as favorable as the judgment that the person in the suit is making on them or just as unfavorable anyway. Right. Because they're looking at them as some sort of corporate robot, whereas the other person's looking at them as some sort of weird freak. Right. Regardless of how you look at it, it's still a negative impression you're getting simply based on an outward appearance. Yeah. And that's there's that's just truth to life. Now, that advice that you were that you were talking about where you want to dress just a little bit better than the other people around you right. is actually really, really good advice. It's because not, yeah. if you if you're not dressing like to the nines, if you're not dressing a lot better than everyone around you, then it's, you know, you're, you're like them. It's just, you're a little, just a little right. classier. You just have a little more sense of style. You just, you know, it puts you on an attainable elevation, but it's still elevated. Right. And he's, it, it, it's not, it's not that he's wrong. It's the way that he says it in such a way that, I don't know. I think that he's trying to make a cult following on his YouTube channel. and Which is kind of why you have YouTube channels. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, but you, I, you need a following if you're going to make any money off of YouTube, even though YouTube is doing everything it can to make sure you don't make money off of them. Right. And you have to find another way now. If you're... If you, if you are a social well, the, media influencer, you ha- you're going to have to find another way to make money. I mean, that's just the way it is. Because... Right. And... I hate to say this, but because this could open up a whole discussion that would totally derail the entire podcast. Oh, when has that ever happened? (laughs) (laughs) Again, just a day that ends in Y. So um, I think with with the way Google is, is handling YouTube and they don't want any of the contributors making money. So they're basically trying to turn YouTube into another form of Netflix is what it feels like. Yes, it does. And that means they're the ones that are going to be responsible for creating the content. And that is going to cost them a lot more money. If all they're doing is hosting other people's videos and they're letting other people create the content, 
to me, that seems like a smart business model because all of your money is only going into the supporting of those videos in terms of the technical support, making them available. Yeah. Um, not that that is a smaller price, by the way, but it is it is a, a smaller price than not only create, maintaining those videos and the technology behind it, but also paying for the create, creation of those. Right. It's, it's a cost savings to them. And they don't seem to get that. And throwing in a, you know, I like watching documentaries on YouTube. Of course, I like watching documentaries about ancient aliens and other fun stuff like that. But, you know, when I get an advertisement every three minutes on those videos, it makes me not want to watch those videos. Right. And the thing is, is it shows up on every video. So if your video is less than three minutes, you're less likely to get interrupted, which is why things like... um, music videos don't get interrupted in the middle with a commercial. Right. You know, but anything that's over like 10 minutes will get hit two or three times with a video. So that's annoying to me. There's someone who's been considering creating, uh, making creative content and putting it on YouTube. That's a detriment to me because now there has to be some sort of algorithm they use that inserts those commercials in there. And they always seem to interrupt what someone is saying when they insert those right. commercials. You know, it, it would be less painful if they at least would work with the people creating the content and say, okay, we are going to insert a video at this mark or insert a commercial at this mark, this mark, this mark, and this mark. Well, let me just so you're going to get ads yeah. at, at these points so that you can plan for it. Yeah. You know? But that doesn't seem to be the way they're going because Google is evil. Whether or not Google wants to admit it, eh, that's up to it. Which we could use as a segue to talk about this whole Google AI thing. Well, that's a, that's the, you know, it was it's either going to segue in one or two directions. We're either going to talk about the other news and revelations that have come over this college admissions cheating scandal, or mm-hmm. we were going to talk about AI. So you want to talk about AI. Um, yeah. So... In the show notes, for, and this is for the sh- uh, the show. Oh, what's this weekend? What's what's this Saturday, Jay? The, uh, the March twenty third. March twenty. March twenty third. Um, just check out metaphysicalpodcast.com and click on the show page for March twenty third, two thousand nineteen. I almost said nineteen ninety one. So I um. <laughs> God, I mean, it's like, have some no, more coffee, Eric. Let's not go back there. <laughs> let's not go back. Let's not go back to the future. Um, so, Google is working on artificial intelligence. While at the same time, we have a lot of people who are sort of like, I don't know, this. I don't know if this is such a good idea. I don't, I don't think that this is... I, <sighs> There's something about creating artificial intelligence, and I, I know that they're just movies. You look at, like, Stanley Kubrick's 2001, and um, and I know, that they're, I know that they're only movies, but you do have more than enough people who are sort of scratching their heads saying that creating artificial intelligence and plugging it into everything from, from toasters to nuclear missiles doesn't really seem like this is a very smart idea because we can concoct crazy ways of how this could go sideways and well yeah i mean it's like the whole alexa and um and the the google 
smart speakers where you just, you can say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, and then right. ask it a question, and it'll provide an answer. Um, as someone who works in IT and understands the technology behind those things, I don't like them, and I don't want them in my house because the last thing I need is Google or Amazon listening in on what I say. And the first thing everyone says is they're only listening for those words. No. <laughs> to which my response is how would they hear those words unless they're listening to everything you say? And we've had this conversation before. We have. And it's the same thing. Um, in this article that you're going to link to, the thing that bothers me the most about it is DeepMind's research, right? When Google or Alphabet technically bought uh, DeepMind, they created a an ethics board. Yeah. We have no idea who's on it. Yeah. What it is they are trying to do, what their scope is, um, their area of responsibility. So we don't really know what the hell this group is doing at all. And they're saying that they get that um that last year, DeepMind surprised creators by successfully creating neural pathways that resemble human neural networks entirely on its own. Yeah. If it can do that, that's opening up the door. Now, the scary thing about AI that all of the science fiction writings that I've read anyway seem to seize on is that the, the, any AI that we create is going to lack empathy. It's going to yeah. lack emotion and emotions are a part of what we use to govern our behavior so if you didn't have any emotion and you saw someone getting beat up you're going to do one of two things you're either going to stop them from getting beat up or you're going to walk away because joining in and helping someone beat up someone else has no benefit yeah what do you have by stepping in and trying to prevent the beatdown? that's emotional you're just going to turn around, turn the cheek and walk away and it's not going to affect you in any way, shape or form while someone else is getting their ass beat or if someone's getting raped or if someone's getting murdered. Right. You know, so without emotion, we lack that empathy that really keeps us as a society somewhat connected. Um, it's the emotion that does that. And without that, when you have an AI, especially computer AI, that's something that's theoretically immortal. Theoretically, yeah. Right? As long as it's got power, it's going to continue to exist, right? Because theoretically, electronics don't break down over time. There's no moving parts, right? So if you have an SSD storage, and once it runs out of storage it'll run into problems, but if it's true AI, it's going to be able to selectively delete items from its storage and replace it with something that's more important. Yeah. So theoretically, it's something that could exist on its own forever as long as it has power. Yeah. Right? So what is it capable of? And the truth is, is without emotion, it's capable of anything. At some point, Theoretically, it's going to become curious as to what is going on outside of its immediate sphere of influence, and it will seek out ways of finding out what's going on outside of its immediate area. 
So it, is it going to try and connect to the network? If it connects to a network, intelligence is theoretically just a subroutine, a program, if you will. So it should be able to copy that subroutine into anything else that is capable of handling that level of programming. So if you have a smart home with a smart refrigerator and everything else, now the AI is going to theoretically control that. What's to stop it from doing experiments? Is curiosity an emotion or is it an intellectual pursuit? I've heard arguments for both. If it is a purely intellectual pursuit, then the computer is going to want to conduct experiments. It's going to want to say, okay, I can control what this family eats because they have a smart refrigerator. So I'm going to tell it, all right, we're going to get rid of the hamburger. We're going to get rid of the meats. You're all you're going to, you're now going to be a vegetarian. You really think that somehow, some way, computers are going to be able to say, no, 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 this is this is what you're doing, this is what you're not doing, and it's going to be able to make decisions and actively prevent... Well, let me ask you this. If your, phone, if your alarm clock for your phone suddenly went off every other hour throughout the entire night, are you going to get rid of the phone? Probably. What happens if that phone does the same thing? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know what's going to happen is you're not going to get a whole lot of fucking sleep. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> at some point, you're going to have to say, I don't want a phone anymore. That's exactly it. So how? what are you willing to put up with for the convenience of having a phone? I think that's the problem. And we've talked about this often is that we give up so much in the name of convenience. Right. Um, it's just like the same thing. You could extrapolate that into the safety. If you want to feel safe, okay, it's annoying that I have to take off my shoes when I go, into a, go through an airport and I have to take off my belt and all that other kind of crap. It's annoying, but hey, at least I'm safe. It's the illusion of safety. Exactly. You have an illusion of safety. There are people out there who can do a lot of damage with stuff that we carry on us every single day that doesn't look any threatening, doesn't look threatening in any way, shape, or form. I've seen people do serious damage with a folded credit card. Yeah. And, that's and we don't take those out. No. You know, the reason why we take off shoes is because the shoe bomber. Yeah. That's the only reason why we take off our shoes. So because of one instance, everyone takes off their shoes when they go to an airport. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Right. I mean, we joke about an underwear bomber, but there actually was a guy who had a bomb smuggled in his underwear. That's why we have the porn scanners. Yeah. You know, we have to go in there and stand with our hands up in the air and they they run the scan around us. It's just, when is enough enough and when are we going to accept responsibility and accountability for ourselves? That question applies to security and the perception of security. When it comes to AI, why do we want to create AI is the question I want answered. Because that's intellectual curiosity right now. The only reason why they're doing it is, can we? Yeah. And to bring up another question brought up in another sci-fi movie, just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's, it's inevitable that you would, in a, talk, in a conversation about whether or not we should create something, Jurassic Park always seems to come up. Because it's a valid question. Yeah. It really is a valid question. I mean, just because 
that question is answer, is something that we deal with on a daily basis, right? I can get a knife, walk through the mall, and just start cutting people up. Right. Doesn't mean I should. No. So I don't, right? And there are consequences we, to doing that as well. Well, yeah, but there's consequences to doing this too. Right now, the consequences don't seem to be that major. Well, it's not connected to a network. It's just on its own. It's sitting in the whatever area, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But what happens if you do if you do reach that IGA level, right? Instead of just AI, it becomes AGI, right? Right. Once it reaches that level, is it going to want to find out more of what's going on around it? Is there going to be that intellectual curiosity? Or are they going to be able to actually control it to the point where it never attains that level of curiosity? And if it doesn't attain that level of curiosity, does it really get to the AGI level? Because it becomes a paradox at some point. How do you define intelligence? How do you define, if they're looking for sentience, self-awareness, how do you define self-awareness? Because we're constantly saying, well, animals are not self-aware. But we know that there are animals that use tools. We know that there are animals who are able to problem solve. We know that animals that are able to communicate and work together for, towards a common goal. Isn't that some level of sentience or sapience or whatever word you want to use what, to describe what, it? Isn't what? that some level of self-awareness? Yeah. I mean, take my dog Jasper, for example. He will tap and bang on the container that we have the dog food, and he will let us know yeah. he thinks it's time for dinner. And yeah. you, you you do see animals learn how to do things. They learn how to, they, they can figure things out. And they can, you know. Um, he knows where his food is kept. Yeah. And he, he knows that it's like if the dogs know that if they whine and make enough noise in the middle of the night i will get up in the middle of the night put my fedora apparently put on your hat (laughs) yeah (laughs) go outside with them make sure that you know a they do their business and b they don't break the leash or they don't get loose and whatever and run and run around then and um have i trained them or have they trained me that's not that's that's not an unfair question. Well, that's a fine line, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a fine line. And to some extent, I mean, you know, we talk about teaching our children, but in many ways our children are teaching us. So to be in charge is to also be a slave. That's something that, um, like the BDSM community, that's something that they actually deal with quite regularly, is that if you are, if you have someone that is, beholden to you in in their entirety then you are also responsible for that person right that's where slavery is becomes like really evil is that in the era of slavery or in a slave civilization or civilization that practices slavery the owners feel no responsibility towards the slaves as people yeah right so if that's the kind of thing that's happening with this computer, well, we don't feel any responsibility towards it because it doesn't have any feelings. If it doesn't have any emotion, then we can't hurt it. But what happens when so it does? What, is, what happens when it does? What happens develop? if it does? Yeah. 
imagine imagine you're a programmer and you've been working on this program and you've dedicated decades into building this thing yeah and someone tells you look there's something happening it's getting kind of scary we need you to pull the plug okay fine it's just a program i'm going to go pull the plug and as soon as you're reaching as soon as you're putting in the command to cancel the ai sees it or the agi sees it and says i'm afraid what's yeah, going to exactly. happen i'm scared yeah You've spent as much time with this program as, or more, than what the average parent spends with their children. Yeah. And it's telling you it's scared. What are you doing to me, father? What are you doing to me, mother? Exactly. You know? I mean, it's... Those are the questions that I think we don't know. And to me, what would be the benefit of creating an artificial intelligence? According to Wall E, not a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. And as we've spoken about in previous episodes, where we know that Alexa is doing far more than what we were originally told that she does. Perfect, mm -hmm. you know, the perfect example of um, Carol and I were talking about getting a new coffee maker. We're talking about a specific brand, and all of a sudden that specific brand shows up in my uh, uh, Facebook feed. And you mean to tell me that that's not that's not part of the program, or that's an unintentional consequence? That's well, is it unintentional? It's unintentional from your perspective, but is it unintentional from Amazon's perspective? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I would argue no. I, I, it's not unintentional at all. Yeah, but it's it's an it's an interesting dilemma. Like, what's going to happen with this? AI and what's going to happen when it does go well, what happens if this AI does decide it wants to know what's out there and it finds out about Alexa and Google Plus or whatever it's called the Google version of Alexa right can this AI then interface with them because it would be from what we're being told anyway it's entirely capable of outperforming humans on complicated games and strategy and thinking so if it's capable of doing that how long is it going to take it to break through any security algorithms how soon yeah it's not going to take long at all i don't think and even if it does what does it care it's got nothing but time it doesn't sleep neither do the security algorithms but if it has access to the internet it can steal minute micro flops from every single computer that it has access to yeah. In order to help it process that. So it has theoretically almost infinite resources for computing. So what may take us, we calculate to say, oh, it'll take 3,000 years to break this. Will it really? If you can devote almost infinite resources to breaking the algorithm, will it really take 10,000 years to do that? Or will yeah. it take a year or a few months? We don't know. We don't know. But then what happens if it actually breaks in? What happens if it actually gains access to Alexa and or Google? Yeah. What happens if it gains access to not only Alexa and Google, but that huge fucking data center that's gathering all of the information on every single cell phone, every single email, right. every single instant message, every single communication that is electronic in nature that our government has built? I think the, the most important aspect of this is the headline. And I know that this is from the website Mysterious Universe. 
So yeah. take it with take take it at face value. Google is afraid of losing control of its deep mind AI. The idea that well, somebody is actually thinking about this and they're afraid of what's going to happen or what could happen. Well, hold on. You yes. and I both have read the article. Right. It doesn't actually say in there that they're afraid of it. Yeah, well, it's it, it is a clickbait. Um Right. It's article. definitely a clickbait art, art uh title. Yeah. It really is. Cuz in the article, no one there is apparently having any reservations about this except possibly the Deep Mind Ethics Society or right. whatever, the Ethics Board. That's there. But we don't even know who the hell's on it, and we don't even know what their mandate is, and we don't even know how often they meet or if they even give a happy fuck. As far as we know, they're getting together once or twice a week and just comparing their alcohol preferences. We have no clue. Yeah. You know, They may be all sitting in a room together playing fucking Pong or, you know, Star Wars Online or whatever. Yeah. You know, this, we have no idea what they're doing. Skipping ahead here to another news story that I thought was also incredibly important. It's not so much that this is a news item that's out there. It's the fact that 60 Minutes took this seriously and did a segment on it. Um, is an invisible weapon targeting U.S. diplomats? How do you know? Uh, how do you report on an attack that you can't see? Sixty Minutes producers say they approached it with skepticism, and you read the entire link, and there is a video. And I promise you, will probably automatically play. Ah, wouldn't you know it? Yeah, they're talking about yeah, it, an, does. and they're talking about a microwave weapon. Is it microwave? Well, in the article, they don't say what it is. I mean, we're kind of extrapolating that it's a microwave weapon because that's what makes sense. It could be a subsonic weapon as well because yeah. the things that they talk about, um, vision problems, uh, balance being off, nausea, dizziness, headaches, those are all things that can be caused by ultrasonics and subsonics That's that are being impacting the the brain. Yeah. Um, it affects their children and it affects their pets as well as according to what it says in the article. If all of those creatures, human and non, are experiencing the same things, then it's definitely something that's being broadcast at them. It's not yeah. it's targeted at a specific person. It's being a, an area t area attack, to borrow a, uh, a term from gaming, right? Yeah. So if that's what it is and they can do that, Think about it in the military context. Oh, yeah. You're being attacked by an army. You direct this at it. All of a sudden, they're not so interested in fighting anymore. Here's the chilling Or if paragraph. they are fighting, they're not fighting well. Here's a chilling paragraph. State Department Security Officer Mark Lindsay used to work at, in the Council of... Can't even pronounce this. Um, Guazahu in China when he... Uh, uh, when Guangzhou. He, okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. When he did, he said he, uh, he said the splitting pain in his head was debilitating. He couldn't sleep. I was thinking, what's wrong with me? There's something wrong, he said. There are the three are among 15 American officials in China who say that they have suffered from unexplained brain trauma after being attacked by a mysterious weapons. Previously, 26 Americans who worked in the U.S. Embassy in Cuba said that they also experienced an attack and have similar symptoms. So this is a brand new 21st century 
style weapon. Is it though? How long ago were those people in Cuba? Because that seems to be the previous one. This seems it like sounds to me like they're refining the technology. You think so? This is, but this is obviously a new branch of weapons. Mm-hmm. This seems to me like they're using some kind of electromagnetic force as a weapon to debilitate. Period. And the and the question is. Um, is the U.S. military and State Department, the Pentagon, even the president, are is this taken being, is this being taken seriously? Well, considering the government has a plan to deal with a zombie out zombie apocalypse, I'm like to assume that they're taking this seriously. I'd like to think so too. Yeah, I really would. But the truth is, is we don't know. I mean, 60 Minutes is reporting this, and CBS and. 60 Minutes and CBS is supposedly a, you know, a genuine news program that doesn't engage in conspiracy theories. Yeah. What I find interesting is that all we know is what the victims are saying and no one's giving them any help. Well, we assume no one's giving them any help. They all seem to have funky sunglasses that they can wear, but... Yeah. It's... What is going on? We don't know that. Or do we? I mean, for all we know, this could be a side effect of some sort of program that they're using to overcome any electronic countermeasures that we have in place in the homes of our diplomats to prevent them from being bugged and spied upon. You know, this could be a side effect of ECW, Electronic Control Warfare. Yeah. Our electronic countermeasures. So this could be just a side effect of that. It could be that this is not really a weapon per se, but a side effect of countermeasures that they're doing to get beyond our countermeasures or counter countermeasures. So we don't know. It's that's a scary thing is that we really don't know what is going on and there's all sorts of websites out there and news items that speculate that this is some kind of electromagnetic weapon and it was what's the nature of it and how, how do you combat this well i don't personally i don't think it's electromagnetic i think it's probably more sonic in nature if it was electromagnetic they'd be talking about cancer okay because that seems to be it's what some, happens with electromagnetism yeah. um or a side effect of electromagnetism anyway yeah so I think it's probably more sonic in nature because uh, the way sound waves work when interacting with the human body and the human mind. My guess, but I'm definitely not as educated in this or as conversant in it as the people, as the experts are, and I'm not going to pretend to be. That's just my personal theory. I think, you know, a lot of people tend to default to certain things when there are other explanations. I I think this is not necessarily a weapon. I think this is probably more to do with the countermeasures. That's just a personal theory I have. But what would be the benefit of them doing it as a weapon? Yeah. You know, is it because they're trying to get an edge in the negotiations? There's dozens of ways they can get an edge in the negotiation without there being debilitating side effects that are then going to draw attention to it. Yeah. You know, when you're doing something to gain an edge in a negotiation, you want it to be as subtle as possible so that they're not aware of it. 
people tend to be aware when they're not getting a lot of sleep. Yeah. You know, and like Mark Lindsay said, he's he couldn't sleep. That's something that he's going to notice. Everyone's going to notice when they're not sleeping. Yeah. So I d- it doesn't make sense for it to be a weapon. I could see it on a battlefield where you get immediate result. But in terms of using it on diplomats, what is the benefit? What is the bonus? What is the that? So for that reason, I don't think it is a weapon per se. I think it's a side effect of something else that's going on. I, it makes more sense to me. And the way. thing is, is that we can't say anything definitive yet because it's that new. It's that, yeah. you know, it's sort of it's sort of like people like, you know, back in the early 1990s saying, hey, what's this thing you keep hearing about? What's this interweb thing that you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and to be honest, that wasn't new either. No. In the 90s, when the average person was talking about the internet, the um, DARPA, was it DARPA? Yeah, well, let's I forget. Say, there, was, let's there was an alliance between the military and the universities that actually created email yeah. and the beginnings of what we now recognize as being the interwet- now, internet. Now, the story the that network. I was told when I was working in telecom was that shortly after the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, John Kennedy came up with the idea of we need to have a way for... Uh, to back up all of humanity's knowledge and have it accessible um, instantaneously. And how can we exchange information, vast, vast quantities of data back and forth that's actually you know faster than U.S. mail? And and um, so they decided to get the horses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the thing is, there's there's so many funny stories about the origin of the internet. There's, And we're not even going to talk about how Al Gore claimed that he was the one who started the internet. But it, it, it does go back to the early 1960s and trying to yeah. figure out how can, how can information be exchanged back and forth rapidly and, and, how it, and have it archived not in just one place. Like we need all the information archived in very in different facilities, so that if one gets struck by an atomic weapon, it, it's backed up four times over elsewhere, and um, that's apparently that's that's how it started. And it, and um, who would have thought that the internet from back then, which was very simple, very rudimentary. It had a very basic back, back backbone to it, as it were. Um, it has been built upon and expanded and improved. And every time we turn around, there's some new advancement. And um, do we have a moment to talk about the controversy of uh, 5G? Or is that just so above our pay grade, we don't even know where to begin? All right, so women, what, what is 5G? It's what comes after 4G for for cell phones. Oh, uh, 5G is actually kind of already been there. It's they're in the process of implementing it now. Right. Um, so, as as I understand it, and I'm not, I don't work in telecom, but as I understand it, the G is generation. Yep. So um, a lot of people, at least that I've spoken with, seem to think it has something to do with the gigabits of, of 
or gigabytes of speed and it's not it's just the fourth generation fifth generation communications and as i understand it speed is a component of it but it's also equally about security and clarity so that if you're talking on the phone you are able to hear each other clearly right um whatever i don't that doesn't concern me as much um as long as i can make a phone call i'm fine with it because right. other than that i'm i'm not interested in being able to go for a hike up in the mount the rocky mountains and be able to still use my cell phone to surf the web yeah it's more important to me that if i'm in a remote location like that and something and i needed help in some way i could get help so the phone itself as a phone is more important to me in that case but we- but i will freely admit also that most people are not like me so right there have been sort of stories about the adverse effects of 5g like birds dying and uh, around cell phone towers and you know these vague adverse yeah effects. but is that any different than um what they're talking about this with this invisible weapon could it be a bird yeah. is a small delicate organism so if they have if you put a bird say it's like the canary in the coal, in the coal mine right if you put a canary in this these houses where these diplomats are experiencing these symptoms would the canary die because it can't handle it's not as robust a Probably. system that can't handle yeah. those things that are happening you know it's possible personally i want to know is it killing any bugs yeah any insects because as much as i dislike insects insects are an integral part of our ecosystem and what affects the insects is actually going to move its way up the chain and eventually affect us it is look at the big scare when they thought we were losing honeybees right and and apparently and apparently we are still losing honeybees it's just not on the and like so I've, there's two beekeepers on my street and they both are like, yeah, no, that that lasted six months. And then the bees recovered. Huh. And it's something that happens fairly regularly. It was just they were the news got a hold of it and went into panic mode. Don't they always do that because they weaponize the sensationalism of news? Well, yeah, if they're the first to report it. They get. You know, they can say, we were the first to report on this exactly. kind of a thing. Okay, fine, but was it worth reporting on? Yeah. Well, they don't know. They have no fucking clue. They're, so, they're clueless. They're just as dumb as everyone else is. And when I say everyone else, I mean me. Yeah. Speaking about being dumb and clueless, Alan Kruger, who is an American economist, and I'm reading this off of the Wikipedia page, was an American economist who was the James Madison professional of political economy at Princeton University and research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research, and he was an appointee of um, Obama's administration. And he, I, I don't mean to make light of this, but in Princeton, New Jersey, on March 16th, 2019, uh, he was found dead. And one of the things that a lot of people are saying is, is that his death should be um, opening up another dialogue about mental health. Well, first of all, they say that the death, the cause of death was suicide. So saying the cause of death was he stopped breathing. Right. 
what caused the so how did he apparently commit al allegedly he hung himself but this is the thing that gets sketchy somebody had said to me in a related post that apparently he was he was found shot to death and um is it one of those things where he committed suicide by shooting himself in the back of the head exactly another vince foster thing and some people are claiming that and it was like we're not trying to make light of the fact that i mean we're not trying to make a joke about the fact that he was he was killed i think that one of the reasons why i wanted to mention this is that people are saying that his suicide looks suspicious just like the seth rich suicide or his, not the suicide the the uh the mugging and the and the shooting that had occurred looked suspicious and i think that what i wanted to talk about with the incident of alan krueger people are quick to say that this is a conspiracy and people were wondering what did he what what did hillary know and i think that really sort of does a disservice to the real true conspiracies out there i've been trying to find links to the news stories that sort of back up the claim that it it's not quite as cut and dry as being a suicide is what it's been reported. Um, well, all right. So what have you read so far? What have you found that you think? I is honestly haven't been able to find much. I've been now able to find a lot more about him as a, as an economist than I have about his death. Um, to be honest, I haven't done a whole lot of in-depth searching about it though. So to me, what I want to know is when you when you look at something that might be a murder, we all know from reading crime novels, watching crime TV shows, watching movies, what is the motive? So how is someone going to benefit by this man's death? Right? Yeah. So what could possibly be the benefit of an economist, an economic professor, because he stepped out of he stepped out of politics and according to everything I've read, he vowed never to go back into politics. So if he's not going back into politics, what threat could he possibly pose? And it has to be a threat because threats are what are usually the cause of someone deciding to engage a final solution, right? That's why the Nazis went after the Jews is because they saw them as a threat, or at least they painted them as a threat anyway. So how and who would someone benefit by him dying? And the evidence in that area is severely lacking, which leads me to believe that this is probably more to do with mental health than anything else. Yeah. What was going on in his life that caused him to commit suicide? Unfortunately, we don't know anything there either. Um, yeah. And I say unfortunate in that we're un unable to form a hypothesis because of a lack of information. I think personally it's fortunate we don't know what was going on in his life because he's entitled to his privacy. Yeah. We don't need to know what was going on. Yeah. Um, his, his wife and two children are dealing with the loss of their husband and father. And if they're saying it's a suicide, then I'm willing to accept it at face value, especially considering I don't see any benefit that could possibly happen from someone else eliminating him. Yeah. 
and it's it's sort of sad whereas like as soon as somebody passes away we're like oh my god it's it's a conspiracy he's a high level muckety muck and we get we get into this mode where it's it's exciting to talk about it's fun to talk about we want to we i mean we want there to be more something to this something more ooh juicy and there's so much out there there's so much controversy surrounding the political candidates. There's so much controversy surrounding Hillary and Bill Clinton with the, the Clinton Foundation. I mean, that's basically enough. And I would, I, I would really like to know, what is it about human nature that we want to sensationalize every little story and make it into something? Look, the guy died. He, we don't know why. Leave it at that. This is where conspiracy theories start to go off the rails when we try and turn something into more than what it actually is. And I, but I'm and, sure you can. And, and let's be honest, he's not. He he operated at a high level within the Obama administration, but he is not a political operative. He served under Clinton. He served under Obama, but he was not a politically minded individual. No. He was an economist. Right. He advised on economic matters. And maybe politically speaking, he leaned more left than right. Fine, whatever. Yeah. That the the fact remains is that this isn't a guy who pursued power. He this wasn't a guy who who sought out those halls of power. He didn't seek out those appointments. Yeah. They were things that came to people that came to him and said, Hey, we think you could do some good if you joined us here. And he, for whatever reason, I'd like to think they're altruistic reasons because I have no reason to th think anything else. Right. Said, okay, if I can help, then I. So why do we want to turn this into a conspiracy theory? There's, uh, by all accounts, a good man is dead by his own hand. Right. That's a tragedy. And the fact that it's someone who is able to achieve those that level of height in his career and let's face it he's 58 yeah that's that's young that's relatively that young. is not an old guy yeah that's, yeah that's only, that is not an old guy that's only i mean he was able to achieve everything in 40 years yeah if you go from like graduating high school at 18 to 58 in 40 years he advised two presidents yeah and you know i mean that's a tragedy. And maybe we need to be more concerned about the mental health side of things. Because what would cause, what could happen in this man's life? He left something that he didn't like, went back to doing something he did like, which is teaching. Yeah. Apparently, he had a good career. He enjoyed teaching. Why did he, why did he decide to take his own life? Did he have an illness? Is there something that was going on is it something like what was happening with robin williams where he knew his mind was going and could not handle dealing with that right for the rest of his life or putting his family through it however you want to look at it why do we want to why do we want to put something nefarious on that it's it's ugly enough as it is why do we want to get it even uglier it's tough it it really is tough, and and what is it about me when I uh, saw this item? The first thing that because you put your it's because you put your hat on at two o'clock in the morning when you take the dog. 
it, it, you know, it, but there, there is an aspect to this. Whereas it's like when, when I saw the news item about how, oh, it's a cover-up. He wasn't really murdered. I was like, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? And I was like, click, click, click. And I was like, you know, following these links. And then when I go back, at least somebody had the class to say, eh, you know what? We got to take these links down. And I'm not able to find those links again. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, and that somebody yeah. somebody came to their senses and said, no, no, this is... Until we have some more further evidence. Um, but I'm guilty of it, too. I'm guilty of the fact that it's like I like seeing sensationalized news items once in a while. Well, And, and I got to be honest, when I first saw this and saw who it was, I was like, ooh, what's going on here? Because let's face it, there's we're political animals to an yeah. extent. We always assume there's more to the story than what's going on. But from... The research that I've done, I think in this particular case, there really isn't anything more to the story. There is no there there. It's just just exactly what it is. You know? Yeah. It, 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 it's sad. Um, it's unfortunate. By all accounts, he was a good economist. Um, who cares if he leaned left socially, uh, sociologically? Who cares? It's a good man that died. Right. You know, um, his friends and family are going to mourn him. And even it's even more tragic because it, at this point, appears to be by his own hand. And we have no reason to suspect it's any other, anything other than that. And I think it'd be a disservice to try and paint it in anything other than that light. Yeah, I think it's. A, I think that we are sort of reaching sort of like a tipping point where um, we're becoming more discerning readers. At least I think you and I are. You know, we're not. We're, yeah. not, we're not running wild with the speculation about what must have. It must have happened this way. I, I you know, I, I. I think that news organizations with so much other stuff to talk about, you don't need to fabricate. And embellish a story because there's so much other juicy stuff out there that you know we wanted to chit chat about, and there's there's so many other things to report um, that's not sensationalized that are pretty awful just just on their lonesome. Boy, we really need to just sort of pick up the uh, pick up the mood, pick up the tempo here. And I like I just like to just talk about this just for a little bit. It's not much to really sort of go on because it's just that the total number of known exoplanets has grown to a whopping 4,001, uh, uh, according to the exoplanet team, which is led by the Observatoria de Paris, and the number should grow a lot higher from there. Yeah, no kidding. Thank you, Mr. Obvious. <laughs> There's all I, I'm reading this again from the mysterious universe. I love to just go here and just read the crazy stuff that they have here once in a while. I think they also have a great podcast that people should check out. But on the website called the Extra uh, Extra Solar Planets Encyclopedia, the team posted the announcement which was read today is a celebration as we are now over four thousand planets validated in our database and the number will grow very quickly thanks to intensive ongoing work and there was a time jay um yeah that well as technology 
as, as technology grows, we're gonna we can expect to see finding more exo more and more exoplanets. Uh, looking back back to February 1995, when the extrasolar planet encyclopedia um, was um, was founded. I think it was like a year sooner. I, I think I was still in college back in uh, 1994, the first time around, Jay, when there yeah. was the announcement of the first exoplanet found, 51 Pegasi. Uh, now, let's put this in perspective Pegasi. for the younger members of our audience. Back in the day, back then, 1994, we found out about this stuff through publications like astronomy magazine and omni magazine that's how we found out about this stuff so they may have found out found about this planet they may have discovered this planet in say january we were reading about this brand new discovery in october yes and it was because we had no white we had no real evidence whatsoever that um that there were there were planets around other stars. We assumed that there were. We assumed we had no evidence. We had no way of knowing if there were uh, planets orbiting around other stars. And then suddenly confirmation: we've found at least one planet orbiting around another star. Here you go. And uh, and it was like it it was like. Um, for me, it felt like the, the like the world changed, the way we see the universe. Confirmation of a star around another planet was it was enormous. It, oh yeah, it, it went from being a um, a solid scientific theory to a scientific fact overnight, and it was. Um, and then every time we turned around, it was just like every month or so, hey, they discovered another planet to the point now where it's almost commonplace. It's to the right. point where nobody, it's something. You, We're not satisfied with, oh, we found another planet. Now we want to hear, we found another planet we think might have life on it or might be capable of sustaining life. But we, we've had those news stories. We have, but now those are the ones that we get more excited about. Eh, we found another planet. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Oh, okay. Congratulations. The Earth is round. Let 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 me know. Let me know when they when they find a planet that can support life, you know? <laughs> Actually, what I want to know is when they find a planet that not only can support life, but when they zoom in, they see someone in the northern hemisphere looking up and flipping them off. That's what I want. <laughs> That's the story That's I'm That's not where I for. thought you were going to go. <laughs> We, we see a life that, that... I'm trying to be good. <laughs> oh. It would be weird if we look out and we, we see, you know, intelligent life and we zoom in closer and closer and closer. And then we see an, some intelligent alien life form looking back at us, you know, with a similar telescope or whatever. That would be funny. That would be... That's, you know... Um, yeah. Wasn't that, it Nietzsche that said that the longer you stare into the abyss, the more the abyss stares back at you? Yes, I think it was him. I don't know. I don't know. It could be yeah. it, you. Could be snowing me. I don't know. It, 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 it could be. It could be could Carl have been Lovecraft. Sick. We don't know. We don't know. It was probably yeah. Lovecraft. 
<laughs> no, Lovecraft would be more like, the longer you stare into the abyss, the more you realize it already ate you. <laughs> exactly. Oh, the stomach <laughs> of this abyss is kind of nice. <laughs> Has some being slowly kind of digested. Moist in here. <laughs> yeah. So I th- I think it's exciting that we've 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 crossed the threshold into four thousand known exoplanets, right? And the more that we find, the more likely we're going to find one that is capable of sustaining life. And we found, as as we mentioned, we've already found several that could possibly be capable of sustaining life. Yeah. And for whatever reason, we we want to find life on another planet. We don't want to be alone in this universe. And I think statistically we know that it's an impossibility that we're alone. The question is, do they want to have anything to do with us? And are they even compatible with us in an ability to communicate in societal ways or anything like that? Which kind of brings up the galactic zoo. Yeah. Um, that's the other extreme is that if there is such a thing, if there is such a thing as intelligent life out there, um, how come they haven't contacted us? And then we talk about the Fermi paradox. Because they're intelligent life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So. Basically, Enrico Fermi, back in the, what was it, the 50s, 60s, yep. something like that, um, started what's now known as the Fermi Paradox. Um, basically, it can be broken down to three words. Where is everybody? So recently, my- Yeah, of course, I clicked on another news item that I wanted to talk about. And of course, again, the the automated, the, the video automatically automated played. Video. Yeah. yeah, no, go ahead. Talking about the Fermi Paradox. Yeah, the Fermi Paradox. So basically- extraterrestrial life and alien intelligent alien civilizations is highly probable so why haven't we heard from them why haven't they reached out to us why haven't they responded to any of our attempts to reach out to them the voyager space probe for example right um we have been sending and broadcasting radio signals into space for decades now and we have yet to hear or have any indication that someone is listening or trying to do the same thing back. Um, the problem with this paradox is that, well, statistically speaking, there should be someone out there listening. We are, by our very nature of being humans, applying human motivations to them when we have no reason to. Just because we are curious doesn't mean any other intelligent life out there will be curious as well. Just because we have a desire to explore and to find out what's going on doesn't mean that we can reasonably expect any other alien life form, regardless of its intelligence, of having the same desires we do. There may be forms of life out there that have none of the same motivations that we do. They may be a lot more violent in nature, so they're not working on communicate means of communications they're just working on better ways of killing each other right we have no clue it could be that they are so peaceful that they don't care to communicate with other people because they just want to hang out and meditate and you know i mean we may arrive at some planet and find a planet filled with a bunch of temples with a bunch of people sitting in across like it going oh right 
I mean, you know, we crazy. don't know. Yeah. We have no we, we have, have no, no idea. We have no idea what motivates them. We have no idea what is there a segment of a, an alien population that is curious enough to start reach, reaching out the way we are. And the odds of them being close enough, simultaneously doing the same thing, reaching out, looking and exploring is it's astronomical. It could be infinitesimally yeah. I mean, small. If you take you take all of the planets that are out there and a fraction of them are going to be able to sustain life. You take all of the planets out there capable of sustaining life, and a fraction of them will have intelligent life. You take all of the planets out there that have intelligent life, and a fraction of them will be interested in space exploration. You take all of those, and a fraction of them will want to talk to another race. Right. So we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. Yeah. You're talking, you, basically, you just told us the Fermi, no, the uh, the Drake equation, um right. you know in a nutshell right and again the drake equation which they mentioned in the article is not looking to find an answer but it's really intended for us to understand the complexity of the search that we're engaging in right yeah because space is infinite the human mind has a difficult time grasping infinity right so we can explain infinity, but there's a difference between being able to grasp, to being able to see it, being able to hear the explanation, and then being able to fully understand what infinity means. Because even though we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, right? you're still talking about literally infinite civilizations out there. It is entirely possible that there are hundreds of trillions of civilizations out there on other planets they're just so far away that it's going to take centuries for any means of communication we have to reach them yeah. you know as much as we talk about the possibilities of faster than light travel and faster than light communications the truth is we're not there yet we have no way of communicating faster than light which means we are limited by the speed of light and our ability to communicate and travel at that speed and our relatively short lifespans in comparison to that right so again there's a there's a there's a part of me that says it's kind of pointless to look for it but then there's the explorer in me who's like i want to know i do you know yeah because we, we so many of yeah. us we've been we've been brought up on you know science fiction movies star trek star wars all of that, and we just, honestly, we just would really like to be able to know, like, what is really going on out there? And um, it, I, obviously, it's 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 a fascinating thing. It's like, it, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Like, um, who's out there, and are they just as curious as us as we are of them? And, and the odds of there being intelligent life around, you know, any one of these 4,000 planets is probably pretty small um, because it is, but even as small as it is, that's still an infinite number of planets out there that have intelligent life. Yeah. That we, that's the nature of infinity. I mean, in Firefly, they talk about the Reavers going to the edge of space and seeing nothing but, but empty blackness. And it drives him insane. Yeah. Truth is there is no edge of space. (laughs) We know that, we know that there are more 
galaxies in the black spaces between the stars we can see in the sky than there are stars in the sky. I always thought that that was talking about the edge of space, talking about the edge of the known universe, as the the edge of of human beings. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The edge of human humanity's influence out in space. Like there's a point where we can only go so far with the technology mm-hmm. that we have, and you try and go out any further. Um, you just run it. You just sort of like run into issues. Like you just can't. You just can't go out any further because you, there's no lifeline. And there are there are times I have actually thought about what it what would it be like being one of the first explorers into space. What would it be like to be in a single starship, not even starship, just a spaceship heading out towards the edge of of our solar system. And knowing that if, God forbid, if anything happens, you're dead. Or you'll be stranded out there if there's a, some kind of catastrophic failure. Nobody's coming to get you. If you're, st- if you're stuck out in the Pacific Ocean, there's a chance that maybe somebody might be able to come and get you. But if you're stuck out in... Well, as someone who's been out in the ocean, yeah, good luck. Okay, but there's a now, bit- I was I was in the Coast Guard. It was our job. We were the ones that were going out and searching for people. Right. And we used to train. We would do exercises where we were trying to see people out at sea. So we would do things like if you take a uh, – basically think of a watermelon, mm-hmm. right? Um, not a large watermelon, but like an average-sized watermelon is roughly the size of a human head. It's a little bigger. And if you were to take that and put it in a lake and push it out more than, say, 100 yards, you're very unlikely to see that. And when someone's out at sea and they're not in some sort of boat, they're almost invisible when you go beyond 150 yards. Now, if they're in a, if they're in a, a raft, all... Like all of the life rafts now that are on boats are international orange because it's the exact opposite of the water and yeah. on the color spectrum. So it's highly visible. And yet when you're in a helicopter and you're flying, you know, a few hundred yards above the ocean, you're very unlikely to see that. The Coast Guard spends a lot of time training people on how to look and how to be observant and how to how to find things out at sea and how to pay attention for those things that let you know that that's the difference between a person and say a whale or, mm-hmm. you know, a flock of seagulls or something like that. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but when you're out at sea and literally eight miles is the limit of visibility out at sea, that's a lot of water and it's all moving. You've got the waves going. You've got the the surge and surf underneath. You've got everything happening. It's all constantly in motion. And you're looking for something that is the size of the head of a pin that's bobbing in and out of view Mm -hmm. within all of that. And that's what a search and rescue is like. Luckily, with modern technology, if they have the right equipment, if they're following all of the laws, the safety laws that are out there, they'll have a radio transmitter so we can get into an area where we have, you know, just a few hundred yards we have to search. Yeah. But the truth is, it's difficult to find people. It's very, very difficult to find people. And that's out at sea. Now you extrapolate that by 
several factors of millions, then that's space. How are we going to find someone out in space if you're lost? Forget it. I mean, you could, in spite of what they say in Star Wars, if you were to suddenly hit faster than light in any random direction, you are far more likely than not to not hit anything ever. Yeah. You can go for hundreds and hundreds of years faster than light and not touch a single fucking thing because space is empty. That's why it's called space. Yeah. Relatively speaking, it is very, and you just sort of basically gave a metaphor for why it's so hard to find intelligent life out in space. And I don't think you were in, uh, intentionally yeah. doing it. Yeah, no. So. Yeah, I, d I definitely was not. I mean, it's, it's, that is the truth, though. I mean, that's, when, when we're looking for things out in outer space, there's, there's a whole lot of nothing out there. And to further complicate things, we're looking for a specific kind of something out yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not just looking for something. We're looking for a specific kind of something. We're looking for a subset of a subset of a subset of a particular kind of something. Yeah. So we're looking in this vast area of which we can't see all of it. And we're looking for something very, very small. Yeah. So on the light side of Jay... Um, <laughs> what is going so what other kind of funny thing do you want to like end the show on uh, let's see there was what was the article I saw um, dang it I'm not, I'm not remembering there was there was the article there was an article you had sent me earlier in the week about how they they found out that people can sense earth's magnetic field yeah which is cool right. as hell, yep. even though we don't know the how and whys of, of how it works. And I like the idea that people can be homing pigeons, you know? Because yeah. we always talk to people who have a better sense of direction than other people. They always kind of know where they are and, and you know, relatively speaking, how they can get back to where they came from. Right. Um, whether you're walking out in the woods or whatever. So... This is interesting to me. I find this very, very fascinating. Um, the more I find out about the magnetic field and the effect it has on life on Earth, the more fascinated I am by the magnetic field. Yeah. Because there's so much... The magnetic field surrounding the Earth is basically like a fucking force field. It keeps so much harmful shit out of the way. There are so many meteors and comets that would otherwise have hit the earth, but they were actually deflected by the magnetic field. Yeah. There's so much radiation and solar flares that come out from the sun that could destroy us that get deflected by the magnetic field. The magnetic field is a really important part of how we are able to exist on this planet. Yeah. And I find it so fascinating. It is. It, it it absolutely amazing. It really honestly is very uh another aspect of this that I thought was kind of interesting is that uh apparently officially it's a, now it's a scientific proven fact, and I'm trying to get confirmation, 
of this, the magnetic North Pole has actually moved. Oh, it does. Yeah. They know this. The, the magnetic North Pole, in fact, the magnetic North Pole and the South Pole, they know that magnets flip-flop those yeah. poles. And depending on the source of the, the magnetism of the magnet, sometimes what happens during that shift, it's instantaneous. Sometimes it's just all of a sudden north to south, south is north, bam. Sometimes what happens is north and south kind of bounce around a bit on the magnet until they settle in at the poles again, at the opposite side. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading an article years ago about how they have found evidence of the Earth's magnetic poles swapping north and south in history. But what they don't know is how it's going to do it. Is it going to be an instantaneous thing? Is it going to be something that wobbles around? Are we going to, is like magnetic north going to suddenly pop up in the middle of Iowa or something like that? Yep. You know, and if it does that, how long is it going to take? If it does not switch poles automatically, but it's just, you know, it does switch without wobbling all over the place, how long is that going to take? Is it going to be instantaneous? Is it going to take a year? Is it going to take a few months? Is it going to take a week? Is it going to take, you know, decades? Yeah. And if that happens, is the Earth's magnetic field going to weaken? If the Earth's magnetic field weakens, then how is that going to affect us? Because if while the Earth's magnetic field is weak, what happens if a solar flare happens? What happens if a comet comes? Um, you know, all of the extinction events in Earth, we basically have attributed to some form of extraterrestrial interaction. And when I say that, I don't mean aliens came down from outer space and their Death Star and shot a beam of light at us. <laughs> I mean, it was a meteor that crashed and caused basically a nuclear winter, which yeah. caused the extinction events. Yep. Whether or not that impact happened on the surface or it exploded above the surface, like we saw in Tunguska, something like that happened. Um, and the, as previously stated, the Earth's magnetic fields will prevent that from happening. So when the poles switch, which could happen at any time between now and the next hundred thousand years, right? When those when those fields when those poles swap, what effect is that going to have on us? Is that going to affect our technology? It might. Yeah. We like to think it won't, but we don't really hundred percent know because we don't. We don't understand everything that the magnetic field does and how it affects what it is that we do. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's fascinating, whereas is like finding out something as the magnetic poles switching suddenly could exterminate life as we know it here on Earth, whether or not it's, you know... You know, like mammals, birds, fish, whatever, or all electronic equipment. Like right now, right now, what would happen? It, we're, and we're recording this on Thursday. It's ten sixteen, which reminds me I have to get moving. Uh, what would what would happen if suddenly every electronic device just stopped working? Well, personally, I like to think that when the Earth's magnetic field swaps like that is when the dragons come back and magic comes back on Earth and then <laughs> we have to deal with the Fae and the Tuatha de Danan and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's my personal pet theory. I like that because I love the idea of all of a sudden, you know, 
you've got a 737 flying through the air and then a fucking giant lizard comes out of no out of a cloud bank and goes what are you doing here and then just breathes fire on him yeah see but i'm a little twisted oh a, a little a little uh-huh yeah <laughs> just just a little bit uh-huh okay okay yeah all right jay <laughs> i actually have to let you go because we gotta get going here another great show and uh i will talk to you a little bit all right sounds good man This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. You can be a part of the Metaphysical Connection by subscribing to the Fedora Chronicles Network on Twitter through at Fedora Chronicle. There you will find jazz-era counterculture, vintage threads, lost history, conspiracies, the paranormal, and space news. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups The Metaphysical Connection. Both platforms are great ways to join our growing community, connect with other friends of the show, and find out what's coming up in next week's episode. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes, and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them, yours should be too. Find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship, in form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. This is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on.